0: So this morning we're going to continue our series on A New Heart. Um, We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 8 this morning. And in today's scripture we're going to see that it really speaks of the defilement of Israel's temple. However, I think for our application, I think there's an easy transition to see the parallels between what we're going to read in chapter 8 and the individual temples that are us. You know, as believers, we know that that our bodies house the temple of God. We are called the temple. And I think as we're going to see these defilements in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, we can apply these into our own lives. And how we may be defiling the temple of God that's in ourselves. And in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, it says this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise." So as I said, we're going to be in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you. Um, As a reminder, if you're watching online, hey, real quick, let's give it up for those watching online today. All right. Thank you for joining us. And as a reminder for those watching online, we encourage you, make sure watching online doesn't prevent you from being connected to a local church. Uh, we encourage you to be connected to a local church where you can work on the relationships with others in your relationship with Jesus Christ, just as we do here in the house. And I know there's still people who are watching online who fear COVID, but yet they'll go to Publix and Home Depot and go out to restaurants to eat. And if you can do all that, you can go ahead and come on in the house. So uh, as a reminder, the scripture will also be on the bottom of the screen And I will tell you today, because Ezekiel 8 is actually 18 verses, I'm not going to just read all the verses at the beginning, because I'm going to have to read them all anyways as we break them all down. So I'm going to change it up a little bit today, and instead of reading all 18 verses, we'll kind of go through it as we get to them inside the Scripture itself. I do want to remind everybody that as we're going through the book of Ezekiel, last week we were in chapter 3, this week we're in chapter 8, there's a lot that happened between chapter three and chapter eight. And at the beginning of the series, you know, I mentioned that we're not going to do a verse by verse. We're just going to pick out different verses. So I encourage you during the week, take time to read the book of Ezekiel. So if I kind of reference back, hey, this happened prior to this, you'll kind of understand where we're going and what I'm talking about. And we need to remember that is Ezekiel's difficult task to remind the people. Of their sins. He is reminding the nation of Israel of their sins and of their transgressions against a holy God. During that time, the people believed that they were doing just fine. They believed that even though they were in exile, they were doing just fine and they were able to get along. I think there's people today who think the same thing. Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm able to just get along. Everything is just fine. But Ezekiel had to call them out. And sometimes we have to call people out. We have to call people out for the sins that are inside their lives. And you think about Ezekiel. He was the priest who had to do this for the nation of Israel. Imagine that burden he had to carry. To be able to speak God's truth into people's lives. And imagine, if you would, imagine yourself being in a room full of people and you're the one who's got to tell them about their sins and their transgressions. Not an easy place to be. Especially if you're the one who's got to be up there saying, by the way, here is your sin. (laughs) You know, It's not an easy thing to do. But this is what Ezekiel had to do. And he had to do it for the entire nation. We saw last week that Ezekiel was made a watchman. And we kind of really got into what a watchman is. Now between chapters three and eight, and this is why I tell you, make sure you read it. um, We actually see that Ezekiel basically had to play in the dirt. Ezekiel had to lay in the dirt and draw a city to show the siege that was going to come upon the nation of Israel. He also had to act out the sins of Israel. He basically laid on his side and he just kind of ate scarcely. He had to shave. Which, think about this, he was a Levitical priest. Levitical priests did not shave. He had to shave his face because God told him to to point out the sins of the people. And in chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, God basically told him that they were going to be repaid for their sins. The nation of Israel would be be repaid for their sins and their transgressions, and that the end for them was near. It was coming. In them last verses, in chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, it says, Make a chain, for the land is filled with crimes of blood, and the city is full of violence. Therefore I will bring the worst of the Gentiles, and they will possess their houses. I will cause the pump of the strong to cease and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction comes. They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor be upon rumor. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king will mourn, the prince will be closed with desolation, and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their way, and according to what they deserve, I will judge them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. There are some strong words. And you think about it now, as we move into chapter 8, God shows Ezekiel things that man is doing. He is literally showing him things that man are doing. And man, either one of two things. They either see nothing wrong with what they're doing, or they believe that they can hide their wicked ways from God. And I think we're really going to see that here in chapter 8. God came to Ezekiel in a similar way as he did in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. And it says in in verse 4, in Ezekiel 8, it says, And behold, the glory of, the, of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. So you see, this is very similar to Ezekiel chapter 1. And I really believe that by God appearing to Ezekiel in a similar way, Ezekiel was quick to recognize that it was God. He'd seen this vision before. So he really recognized it was, it was God. And I believe that appearing in the form of a man, I believe it's God showing that he's relatable. He's relatable and he's personable so that Ezekiel can have that conversation with him. And it also talks about him appearing as a fire and he's showing Ezekiel that he is, has all-consuming power. And he also shows with the light that he can see what is going on in the sins in people's lives. And I think the light also shows us that, like it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees everything. God sees everything. But I think sometimes we, just like the Israelites, think God doesn't see it all. We think we can hide it from God. I think the description that we're going to be reading today, I think it gives us, you know, as we look at this, that God's kind of indescribable. We can't really describe what God is, but we also see that God's going to show Ezekiel many things in this chapter. And I think we can actually narrow it down to four different abominations. There's four different abominations that we're going to see in this scripture upon the temple of God that I think we can relate to ourselves being the temple of God. So I think the first abomination we see in chapter 8, we see it in verses 3 and 5. And in verse 3 it says, he stretched out the form of a hand and he took me by a lock of my hair and the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in vision to God, to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes a jealousy. In verse 5, then he said to me, son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes towards the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was the image of jealousy in the entrance. It's not known what this image is. We don't know what the image of jealousy is. But we do know that it became a rival to God. And I really think that we're really not told what that image is because I think it's anything. I think it could be anything that we place between us and God. Anything we find that takes over our hearts of the people and diverts us from focusing on God. Could be that image of jealousy. It's the focus of people's attention before they walked into the temple. You think about this. They went into the temple and saw the the image of jealousy inside the temple, which means someone had to bring it inside. Someone had to bring it inside. And I think that anything that we put before God can be considered an idol. You know, God is a jealous God. And if we start worshiping idols or other things, our God has a reason to be jealous of us. Whatever that idol was that we see here, it provoked God to jealousy. I think the second abomination that we see, we see when Ezekiel has to look through a hole. And it's in verses 7 through 12. And it says, So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me son of man dig into the wall and when I dug into the wall there was a door and he said to me go in and see the wicked abominations which are going there which are doing there so I went in and I saw in there every sort of creeping thing abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jehazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen that the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark every man in this room of his idols? For they say, The Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. Think about that. All of these elders of the church, all the elders of the church offering incense to graven images, and they don't believe that God sees what they're doing. They don't believe that God sees what they're doing. They're offering up prayers to objects of worship. Now you think about it. Worship is attributing reverent honor and homage to something. That's what worship is. So, of course, the question is, what do we give reverent honor and what do we worship? Do we worship tradition? Maybe we worship the past, or maybe we worship people. I think a lot of times we get caught up in the past or in tradition, especially inside church. Well, this is how it's always been done. Well, we do it this way because that's how John did it in 1942, so we got to continue to do it that same way. Well, this is how it's always been done, so this is how we got to do it. Remember, I was raised Catholic. I can talk about tradition, I know what tradition's all about. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in this is how it is and this is how it's been that this Baptist church starts to become a Catholic church. Because you're living by tradition. Because this is the way it's always been done. This is the only thing that we do because this is how it's always been done. Well, don't you know that was built by by the people back in 1960 and we got to keep it there. We get so, so stuck on tradition in the past. The world changes. We change. We grow older. We grow older, so our focus is going to change. The focus in the world changes. The one thing that should never, ever change is what is preached, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is Christ crucified. But there's times we've got to understand that, you know, as they say, what's the meaning of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results? Sometimes you've got to change. In order to affect change, sometimes you have to change. But we get so caught up on tradition. We get so caught up on this is how it's always been done. It's us four and no more. We're not worried about the rest. We just want to be happy ourselves. And I think sometimes we give that worship or that reverence to things that we shouldn't give reverence to. Our focus should be on Christ crucified and bringing the lost bringing one more to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and affecting change everywhere that we go to. Affect that change and attribute it. You think about it, Ezekiel had to dig to see what was going on. He had to dig through this wall to open a door to see what was going on. But God already knew. God already knew what was going on. I think the third abomination we see in verse 14, and it's God brings Ezekiel to the north gate where the women are weeping. So in verse 14 it says, wait a minute. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz, Tammuz. So Tammuz is the god of fertility. And they honestly believe that by worshiping this god of fertility, that he would come back to life, and that he would bring a spring that would eventually bring a bountiful harvest. So to actually appease this deity, the women would often act out shameful acts of sexual immorality. Keep in mind, this still happens today. There's a church in Georgia who advertised that they were going to have scantily clad ladies dancing on the stage during worship so they could get people to come into the church. That's not so bad. My previous church back in probably 2002 maybe had a sermon series called World's Largest Strip Strip Club. They even had a banner on a big billboard on 595. Follow me to the world's largest strip club. Has shirts made for the congregation to wear, to go out. Now, of course, the message series was about stripping off the old you and putting on a new self. But they use sex to get people into church. And it happens all the time. There are still churches today that are going to use sexual innuendos to get people to come in church. So what we see here in Ezekiel chapter 8 is still happening today. Because unfortunately in today's society, what sells? Sex sells. Put some pretty woman on stage, people are going to come in to see her. Put this person on set, people are going to come. Put this out there, people are going to come. But we're the church. We should be different. Now it doesn't mean we're out there beating people about it. We go into the world, we don't bring the world into the church. Can we leverage what's going on in the world? Yes. Because we can provide hope, we can provide love, we can provide a vision for the future for people who are lost. But we don't take what's out there and bring it in here. We bring hope. We bring that love. We bring Christ crucified to them situations but there are still churches today that leverage what's going on in the world to try and get people to come into church to the point that they'll even play secular music as part of their worship. And the understanding is, well, if I got someone in here and their arms are crossed and they're upset, they don't want to be in church, and they hear a song that, hey, I kind of know this song, their foot will start tapping and they drop their arms and it opens them up for the message. I don't know if it really opens them up for the message. I think it just opens them up to feel good. But churches are doing it today. Churches still do that today, just the same thing that we've seen. And we see that it's an abomination. We see that it's an abomination that God's not happy with. But it still happens today. And now the fourth abomination... Um, we're going to see 25 men who turn their backs on the altar of God. And it's in verse 16. And it says, So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces towards the east. And they were worshiping the sun towards the east. They turned their backs on God. Blatantly turned their backs on God. Now think about this. They came into the temple. So they came into the temple of God. They went through the outer courts. They went into the inner court. And they went right before the altar of God. And then they turned their backs. They turned their backs and they faced the east and started worshiping the sun. Now these people are coming to church all the time. They come up to the altar. They say a prayer. Then they turn their backs on God. They just turn their backs on God. And I think each one of these abominations has gotten worse and worse as we went on. I think three of them had to do with worship. I think that's very clear. And the last one was just a rejection of God. They just dead out rejected God. I'm going to walk into the house of the Lord. I'm going to come in. I'm going to go up to his altar. And I'm going to turn my back on God and do what I want to do. I'm going to worship some other God instead of my creator. And we still have people who do that today. And God promises to bring a wrath upon them for what they're doing and you see that in verses 17 and 18. And it says, And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, then they have returned to provoke me to an anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore I also will act in fury my eye will not spare nor will I have pity and though they cry in my ears with a loud voice I shall not hear them wow I shall not hear them I think there's a couple things we need to point out with all of this God sees everything God sees everything and he knows everything that we're doing. You think about it in Genesis, God knew that the people were banding together for evil. So what did he do? He gave them different languages and confused them at the Tower of Babel. God saw the imaginations of man turning evil and everything was turning evil. So what did he do? He brought a flood and wiped them out because of one righteous one righteous family. Even in First Chronicles 28, 9, it says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. God sees everything. God knows what's in your heart. He knows what's on your mind. And despite anything limited, the limited concept that we may have of God, we can't fully understand him. We cannot fully understand God. But man, does God have a great understanding of us. God knows you intimately. And although you may have studied God He created you. He created you and He studies you each and every day. We may not fully understand Him. We may minimize who He is. But God never minimizes who we are to Him. We are His children. We are His creation. He has a plan for our lives. He loves us enough that He sent His Son to die on a cross for us. But we limit what we think he knows about us. And he knows it all. If God were to bring an Ezekiel into this church today, if God brought Ezekiel into this world today, what would he see? What would he see in you as you sit in church? proclaimed to be a Christian, what would he see? What would he see in you by the actions and what you live, how you live? Would he see someone that's maybe more fascinated with idols? More fascinated with traditions or fads? Would he see someone who's more about sexism than sexism of the church and more about just being interested in worshiping God when you feel like it? I feel good today, so I'm going to worship God. Would he see someone who came into the church today on Super Bowl Sunday not thinking about who's going to win the game? Or not thinking about, man, I hope Pastor Ken don't go long because i got to go get ready for my Super Bowl party. Or will he see someone who came into church to worship him for who he is? There's all different ways that we turn our backs on God. I'm guilty of it. There's times I just, I'm having a bad day. God, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to do this on my own today, God. It happens to all of us. But we need to continue to turn and seek him in everything that we do. If Ezekiel came today, would he see someone who's just given lip service? I'm a Christian. I'm trying to do all the right things. Like I mentioned last week, you wear this mask when you come into church. Hey, brothers and sisters, I'm doing just fine today. But then we go outside the church and we treat our spouses or our family members or anyone we come in contact with, we treat them badly and harshly. But yet we'll be the first one to say, well, I'm a Christian. If Ezekiel came today, would he call you a Christian? Would he say you were doing what you're called to do? Or are you committing abominations to the holy temple of God? By turning your back on God, by putting idols in the place of God. And if you really want to know what you're concerned about in your life, look at your checkbook. Look at where you spend your money and where you spend your time. You'll find out very quickly what your idols could possibly be. And I'm here to tell you, I know I'm guilty of it, because if you look at my checkbook, there's a whole lot of Amazon. (laughs) There's a whole lot of Amazon charges on my checkbook. All right? Now, granted, you're not going to know what I bought on Amazon. It could have been books. I could tell you it's books that I bought. It was books on theology. Okay, I'd be lying, but I could tell you that. What are the idols in your life? What are you putting before God in worship? Like I said, it could be tradition. It could be the past. It could actually be people. Do people have a higher value in your life than God does? Does a person take up more of your time than God does? And I'm not talking about a husband or wife. I'm talking about there's someone in this world who takes up that you think about more than you think about God. And it shouldn't be like that. You know, I mean, people fantasize coming into church, and like I said, you're thinking about something else. You come in so you can check it off. I did church on Sunday. You do that checklist to, you know, I'm the Christian checklist. I did Bible study. I did this. I did this. I'm good for the week. God sees that. God sees it. You know, it seems that today's church, many people have become what I call Christian ag- agnostics. Christian ag- agnostics practice a distinct form of agnosticism that applies to only the properties of God. They hold that it is difficult or impossible to know for sure anything beyond the basic tenets of a Christian faith. This is all I know. This is all you can know about God. And if there is a God, that it's impossible to actually know him. And there are many people who walk in churches today who are Christians who believe that. That they can't know God. There's no way there's too much to know about him. I think a lot of people are more into this New Age movement of Christianity. They think that God's this impersonal force that despite continued emphasis from the Bible and in God's word and from Jesus himself, they think they can't have a relationship. There's no way I can have that relationship. But according to Jesus, God knows every single hair on our heads, every sparrow that falls out of a tree, that falls to the ground, and that he has a plan for our lives but people believe that they can't have that personal relationship. Oh, there's no way I can know him. And unfortunately, that's the way people are going. And because of this, what you find is there's evil lurking. There's evil that lurks inside this world that want to thresh us like wheat. It wants to get inside your life and change you. It wants to teach you to be immoral. It wants to teach you that you can't have a relationship with God. It wants to teach you that all of this other stuff in the world is more important than God. And if we allow it, it will slowly creep into our lives. It will creep into our lives and make room so that there's no room for God. Because it'll put idols in the way between us and God. And it'll do it slowly. It'll be just little things at a time. And then all of a sudden you'll realize one day, wow, where's God in all this? Well, you've been putting idols in front of him for so long that he's not there. You've walked away from him. He never left. You created barriers between you and him. And the moment we begin to allow that idol to creep in, we begin to push God out. So we really need to watch what we're doing. Our, when our minds start to wander, so too will our heart. A lot of people, will follow your heart. Follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Heart's deceitful. Yeah, you know, your heart is defe- deceitful. You know, I heard a story once about a husband and a wife. They were out working in the yard. They were doing some gardening work, and their two daughters came out. And while they were out there doing the work, the daughters were kind of playing around, and then one of the oldest daughters came over and saw them pulling weeds and actually pulled a plant out of the ground. And the parents, you know, say, hey, 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 that's a plant. You can't pull that out of the ground. You know, you, you can't do that. And they kind of took the plant from her and started putting it back in and didn't really think much about it. A little while later, all of a sudden, they looked, and their daughter was gone. And they started like freaking out. Where is she? And they started looking all through the backyard. They started looking through the neighborhood, looking all through the house. They were just about to call the police when the mother found the daughter hiding in the closet in the basement. And when they asked the daughter, you know, what, what's wrong? And instinctively she knew that she did wrong, so she had to go hide. She had to hide from her parents because she got in trouble. And I think this goes all the way back to the garden. Because we do the same thing. We try and hide when something's wrong. When we do something wrong, we try and hide. And if you think about it, back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8-10, through 10, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You know, I think the irony of this whole situation is God knew where they were. God knew where they were hiding. But he still asked that question. Where are you? Where are you? And I think in that moment, that question posed to Adam made him have to wrestle with the weight of what he did. He had to wrestle with the weight of that sin that he committed. God didn't ask the question to actually know where he was. It was more for Adam to have to admit his sin. They had an unhindered relationship with God until that very moment. You ever wonder if God's asking you that same question? Where are you? Where are you? He knows exactly where you are. The problem is we're trying to hide because we hide from our sin. We commit abominations against God in the house, of the, in our temple, and then we try and hide it from God. Think about how many times when your kids were young and you played hide-and-seek in the house. And you're walking around and you see them kind of hiding behind something. You see them and you walk past them. Oh, where are you? Where are you? That's kind of how I see God doing this in the garden. He knows where to hide. Oh, where are you? Where are you? Where are you right now? Are you sitting inside this church or are you 100 miles away? Are you maybe in Tampa right now? Thinking about the goat. Go, KC. I'm going to put it on record. It's on video. Go, KC. <laughs> where are you? Are you where God wants you to be? And are you doing what God's called you to do? Or are you placing idols in front of Him? Or are you turning your back to Him at, at His altar? Or are you inviting the world inside the church and trying to get people to come in church by using what's in the world? Or are you taking what's inside the church out to them? Are you honestly doing what God called you to do to make disciples of all nations? Are you going out into the harvest? Are you going out and making a change inside the world? Inside your little world? Or are you just... Oh, well, I'm going to check off. I went to church on Sunday. Maybe God's asking, Where are you? Every one of us can remember the day we accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I remember that day I was on fire. Everything I thought about was Him. All I wanted to do was spend time in his word, spend time in church. And then over time, life got in the way. And it happens to all of us. Life gets in the way and we stop doing what God's called us to do. And we lose that excitement that we had when we first accepted him. We created that personal relationship. We had that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our creator. And over time, it got dull. Because we let other things get in the way. Where are you? God sees you. God knows where you're at. Are you going to open up your eyes and open up your heart for him? Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. At some point in time, each one of us are going to have to give an account to God for what we've done and what we've not done. I think today He's calling you. Where are you? Where are you? And only you can answer that question. It's a a question between you and God. God knows where you are. God knows if you're truly seeking Him in everything that you do. Or He knows if you've got idols in the way. He knows if you're so stuck on the past or stuck on tradition or whatever it is you may be stuck on, God knows. It's time to give it back. Time to come out of hiding because God sees you. He sees you just the way you are. Not the way you think others see you. He sees you for who you are. And He loves you exactly how you are. We can never be good enough for God. But we can certainly try each and every day. And maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you you can lock that down. The Bible says that all of us are sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And even if you're not in this sanctuary and you're watching it online and you say, I need to make this commitment and I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray in a minute and you can make this prayer yours. And if you watch it online and you accept Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go to our website And there's a place on our website that you can say that you accepted Jesus Christ. And I'll be more than happy to send you some more information about how to continue your walk. Maybe you just need to come up to the altar and say, God, I've been hiding. I've been hiding behind this mask for so long. I need to take it off. Lord, I need this mask to come off and I need you to see me for who I am and I need to see myself for who I am in you and be obedient to what He calls us to do to change this world one person at a time. So if you've never accepted Christ or you're watching online, I'm going to say a little prayer and you can make these words yours. And everyone just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you today and I want to make you my Lord and Savior. Lord, I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I fall short of your glory. But Lord, please come into my life. Be the Lord over my life And help me to change who I am. So that I can be who You have called me to be. And I make that prayer in Jesus' name. And maybe you just need to rededicate your life to Christ and you need to come up here and say, Lord, I failed. Lord, I come to You today as a sinner who's also called a saint who is failing you, Lord. Lord, open up my heart so that I may receive what you have for me and take away this old self and make me new. Lord, I know you see me. And Lord, help me to see me as you see me. And that I can affect change in other people's lives. And Lord, Lord, We just thank you for your time, and we love you, we honor you, we praise you, Lord. And Lord, I just ask if there's someone that needs to come up and give it to you, that you will touch them and make them move for you. Make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.